we want to dig into God's Word, and I want to invite you, um, if you can, we're going to dig into Acts chapter 3. And so you'll also see around you, um, there's, uh, there might be a, a Bible sitting there, or my friend Josh. If you'll raise your hand, my friend Josh will grab a blue Bible, um, and he will hand you one if you don't have one. And so if you don't own one, this is also an opportunity we want to give you a gift. And so if you don't own a Bible, please take this with you. Um, not as a souvenir, but hopefully as a tool. And if you know someone that doesn't own a Bible, man, grab that. We want you to give that uh, to someone else. That's a gift that we, we don't ever want to withhold God's Word. So, um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Um, you can find it in the table of contents, but uh, we'll be picking up there where we left off last week. And so as a group of people, we've been digging over the last several months in the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And it's literally shorthand for the actions or acts of the apostles, the first followers of Jesus. And so we don't have recorded very many sermons, or uh, some of you might, if you have a church background, you'll like this. There's no uh, church business meeting minutes left from the first couple of centuries of followers of Jesus. We don't have any of those. Apparently, they weren't really worth fighting for, and they really weren't worth keeping. However, what was worth retelling for centuries even are the actions, what the followers of Jesus did. And so this season following Easter, when we say, okay, great, Jesus is alive. Let's say for just a minute, I believe you that Jesus is alive, that he actually walked out of the tomb and he is not dead. What, what has that got to do with me and what do I do about it? And so we've been digging through this book, looking at how the people responded, what it was that Jesus taught that changed their lives so radically, what it was that Jesus accomplished on their behalf that changed their lives, that they created a movement that you and I are celebrating even here today, that people all over this city even are gathering in buildings or in homes, in their living rooms, you name it, sometime today to celebrate this thing that changed these people's lives and started a movement that is even going on today. And we do so because we want to accomplish two things. First and foremost, we want to see all of the things that Jesus taught that seem to be carried on after he ascended. We want to see what these followers did in response to Jesus leaving them with a task and a mission and a message. And we want to emulate it the best we can, knowing that we're not apostles ourselves, but we want to look at them and say, well, what can we learn and how can we live in response to that? But secondly, we're also a baby church. So I'm going to stop this for a minute. If you're a guest here, this, this, uh, this is kind of cool you're here. We've been meeting together in this building like this for a month now. Start on Easter. So happy birthday, sort of, right? So, so we're like a baby. We're like a month old, okay? And if we're like a month old, then you, you know this, that first month or year of a child's life is pivotal. And the things you do with that child for that first year will make an impact for that child's life until they're no longer living. And so as we say, hey, look, we're a baby church and, and we're coming to life, we want to nourish ourselves, not with antique truth, but as we've talked about before, ancient truth. And so if we're going to build some traditions, if we're going to build some rhythms into our lives, some routines that you and I will do not only on a Sunday but throughout the week, we want to base those routines on ancient truth. Truth that, that has not ever seemed to dissipate. Truth that has lasted the test of time. Things that people will doing long after you and I are gone from this earth. People will still be sharing and doing together. And so we don't want to, at this early fragile state in our, in our own life as Connection Church, we, we don't want to fight over a steeple. 
that make sense? Right? We don't want to fight over the color of the carpet just yet. Okay? And if you, if you don't know Christians, you know that, that Christians sometimes like to fight over things like that. We think those are antique, and they're great. They can be used as tools for accomplishing our mission and getting the message of Jesus out. But we don't want to be loyal to the tool. We want to be loyal to the truth. And so in this very fragile state of our lives, as you're here to celebrate like we've been getting together in this building for like a month, we want to make sure we nourish ourselves on this everlasting truth of who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. Knowing that we're not going to do so perfectly, and in the few chapters following today, you see it starts to, uh, it, people start to show their real, real colors, and, and they start acting like people, and, and they have to deal with one another, just like you and I have to be patient and gracious to one another. But on the other hand, we also want to make sure that everything we do and say is rooted in this truth. So if you're wondering, what are we doing here? I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of a summary. And so we're going to pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 3, looking for some ancient truth, some ancient, ancient ritual, some things that we know that we ought to invest our lives in, not because it's cool and everyone likes it, but because people will be doing it long after you and I pass from this earth. We know it's cool because they've been doing it for 2,000 years. So beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 3, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. I'll stop just for a minute to point out, up to this point and from here on out, you will always notice these guys that follow Jesus, they always travel together. There aren't any, there aren't any exceptions to this. The, the only time where, where people seem in the book of Acts to do anything by themselves is, order, is in order to meet one other person. And you see this where a guy by the name of Philip is just miraculously transported to a place he gets a chance to share the good news of Jesus and meets with that person. That's the only exception. Other than that, every time these people go somewhere to accomplish this mission that they're on, they do so as a team. So Peter and John, they go up to the temple. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate in order to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Therefore, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, because after all, why not? Leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement what had happened to him. Everywhere that these people went, these first followers of Jesus, everywhere that they went, the Holy Spirit followed them and seemed to give the power to do amazing things. Now last week we saw that these first followers of Jesus adopted an idea from Jesus himself and began to walk in it. There's many of them in the book of Acts. So they basically took something that Jesus taught or said or did 
and they began to live it out. And last week we saw, even though it was kind of like the anti-Mother's Day sermon, we saw this lesson that Jesus taught us about a radical new understanding of family. A radical new understanding, so, so radical in fact that Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. And we saw in the book of Mark that Jesus met some people and he had this radical new understanding of family that he began to love and spend time with these followers he called disciples and these crowds of people that began to want to know this truth and the teaching and the miracles that he was performing. And he began to abandon his own family for the sake of being with the people that were obedient to follow him. Now that might work with you and your family. Maybe you're already an outcast, but it didn't work with Jesus. So much so that Jesus' family went to this crowd of people and it says that they accused them of thinking that Jesus was outside of his mind. And they said, hey, tell Jesus that his mom and his brothers are here. And Jesus' response, this loving anti-Mother's Day kind of response, who's my mother and who are my brothers? And he tells the crowd of people that whoever does the will of God, whoever follows obediently God's commands, those are my true family. And they had this radical new understanding of family. Radical, so much so that Jesus comes back later, and he even tells a group of people the real anti-Mother's Day lesson. Hey, by the way, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to hate your own father and your mother, your own family. In fact, you've got to be willing to hate yourself, deny yourself to the point that you would be willing to carry a cross that always ends in death every single day because if you don't, then you'll have no part in me. This radical new understanding of family that is radically loyal to Jesus even to the point that everything else becomes, even things that we used to love, things that aren't evil but things we used to value become all of a sudden small and less in comparison to the majesty and awesomeness of the Christ. And so these people started to live that out. We saw last week that they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to fellowship with one another, to eating together. They devoted themselves to even sacrificing their own possessions for the sake of giving to those who were in need. And it said that they held everything in common. It wasn't communism because some large government forced them to let go of their property. It was a communism because they loved their community. And they had this radical new understanding of family. Because after all, for for some of these people to follow Jesus meant losing their family. And they were willing to sacrifice things for the sake of the people around them. And you'll say, well, that sounds kind of crazy, but uh, the radical new understanding of family makes sense to us because after all, it's it's not crazy for me to share food with my daughters, right? In fact, there are laws against not doing that. Right? And so I, I want to share with my family. And I have to. I can get in trouble if I don't. But there's, there's no law that says I have to share with anyone else. In fact, people who do that kind of, kind of make an impression. And so sacrificing ourselves for the people around us is something that a family would do. Now your family is broken. Our usual understanding of church is usually broken, but we have this new radical loyalty to Jesus that completely changes and alters our understanding of family. And I want to show you here that radical understanding of Jesus also leads to a radical faith in the power of his name. That simply the power to believe in the name of Jesus, at least for this man, changed everything. 
And I want you to see that this comes from a place that's really familiar. So if you want to, you can join me in Luke chapter 5. If not, I can just read it. And I want you to to just kind of let it kind of wash over you. But we're going to read verse 17 through 26 in Luke chapter 5. And I, I want you to see the parallels. I want you to see that this thing that these apostles and these followers of Jesus were doing was not a new thing, but instead it was an old thing that Jesus taught them. And so in Luke chapter 5, just like this paralytic who was sitting outside of the beautiful gate who had to be brought there every day by his friends, there's kind of, a, there's kind of an awesome lesson here. Real friends take their friends to Jesus. So verse 17, Luke chapter 5, one of those days, he, that is Jesus, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and even from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Real men, real friends, take their friends to Jesus. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So stop for just a minute. Some people think that just because you can draw a crowd means you've got something. Notice here, just, just as a side note, that the crowd actually was a hindrance to getting the broken people to Jesus. And so we don't just want to draw a crowd of people. We don't just want to get a bunch of people excited about something because after all, all we need is some monster trucks, right? That can draw a crowd. We don't just want to draw a crowd. Because actually the crowd might hinder some people from getting to Jesus. Instead, we want to draw people to Jesus. And if there's a crowd that follows, we want it to be a crowd of people ushering people to the front to see Jesus. And these men found an alternative. They're like, fine, the crowd won't let us in. I love these These, these guys have some ingenuity, some creativity. They start to bust a hole in the ceiling of the house. That probably wasn't as big a deal then for their type of architecture as it would be for us. But still, when you start breaking holes in people's houses and you're not on HGTV, there's a problem. (laughs) These guys rip a hole. They drop their friend down to Jesus. They don't let the crowd get in their way because they know that this Jesus does special things. And knowing that their paralyzed friend can't make it to Jesus, they know if they could just get him there, something amazing might happen. And in verse 20, Jesus saw that faith saw that faith. It says, when they saw their faith, he said, man, speaking to the man who was on his mat, could not walk, man, your sins are forgiven. I don't know what his response to this was, but I also would like to know what your response might be. Let's say I walked into a prison, right? I just walked into a prison. I've been a part of prison ministry before. That They'll let me in. It's easy to get in. It's getting out. That's the problem. So imagine I walked into a prison and just walked up to some inmate, and I was like, hey, you're pardoned. You're free to go. Would anything with my power as a pastor and his power as a criminal, would anything change in our lives going forward? Right, would, they, would they let me, hey man, this dude, he told me I can go. W- would that work? Would the guards let him go? And to that you all know, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. Because only a person with authority has the power to set a criminal free. The criminals can't set one another free. Only a person with authority. Some states, a governor. 
Sometimes, under special circumstances, the president can look at a guilty person and say, hey, you're pardoned, get out of here, you're free to go. The rest of us can do it all that we want, but only a person with that kind of authority, with that kind of ability to enforce the law, only a person with that kind of a power, influence, and authority can set people free from their crimes. And Jesus walks up to this man and says to him, hey, you know all the commandments that you've broken, all of the evil thoughts that you've had in your heart, all of the mistakes that you've made, all of the decisions that you've made that have hurt you and the people around you, all of the greed, all of the pride, all of the self-centeredness, all of the self-destructive tendencies that you have, by the way, you're forgiven. We're cool. And all the things that make you different from God and separate you from Him, oh, by the way, they're all clean. You and God, you're cool. And if only a man with great authority can set captives free from a penitentiary, then what on earth was this man Jesus implying about this man who was harmed, this man who could not walk? And what was he implying about himself when he boldly said, you are cool with God? God forgives you. Your sins have been wiped clean. And if that makes you uncomfortable for a person to say that, well, then you're in good company because this is what the people said. In verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question him, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Kind of like the prison guard who would say, hey, who are you that you can set criminals free? And these people were upset. He says, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, when he perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Because after all, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Listen to the power of Jesus, the power of his words, and the understanding of miracles. Jesus says in verse 24, so that you may know that the Son of Man, that is I, have authority on the earth to forgive sins, to put people right with God. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home. And what was he doing? There's a similar thing here. Is what we just read about in the book of Acts. He went home glorifying God. And then in amazement, or excuse me, amazement seized them all. And then they, out of their amazement, did what? They glorified God. And they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen an extraordinary thing today. So this thing that Peter and John were doing, it wasn't their idea. It wasn't even a new thing for them. They had watched it happen before. They had watched the power of Jesus change a man's life. And the power of Jesus gave this man Not only the ability to walk, but the power of Jesus gave this man a clean slate before a holy and perfect God. And so when Peter and John walk up to this man in Acts chapter 3, they don't propose to to do a magic trick. In fact, I hope you're encouraged by their first response. It says, hey, silver and gold we don't have, but I'll give you what I do. So hopefully you're encouraged by that. And and maybe if you find yourself... Does anyone have a lot of silver or gold? Would you raise your hand? Anyone? No, no, not a lot of silver or gold. Okay, so, 
So here's an encouragement to you and me who don't have maybe a lot of silver or gold. I, don't, I didn't see any Maseratis parked outside. Maybe you left it at home. That's cool. I understand. I wouldn't bring it here either, right? But if, if you don't have one, there's good news. What you do have is even more valuable. It's much more valuable, so much more that Jesus says that thieves can't steal it, that moths can't eat it, that rust can't tarnish it. And no matter how valuable whatever you think you own is, I promise you within the next two centuries it will be at the bottom, or maybe, if you're lucky, the middle of a landfill. But be encouraged. Because even for these guys, look, I don't have that to give you. I know that's what you want. You want us to just give you something that will get you to the next day. I don't have it, but I'm going to give you what I do. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ. In case you're wondering who, he says, Jesus Christ, the one from Nazareth. Get up. Get up. Walk away. And there's a radical understanding of the power of Jesus. That simply to believe in his name is the power for a brand new life. It was for the story in Luke where a couple of guys brought their friend to Jesus, and when they left, they did not leave the same. They carried their friend in, and they all walked out arm in arm, probably together. And for this man who had been carried, to this gate every single day. He didn't need any help leaving this day. All because of the power of Jesus' name. And I want to throw that out there because it may seem crazy and it may seem just unbelievable, but I want to encourage you. Just the power of Jesus, what He's accomplished for you and me, is enough to change your life. Jesus, this guy who lived, died, and rose again 2,000 years ago, the guy that people were still talking about. I want to throw this out there. It may seem like common knowledge to some of you who know the power of this, but, but maybe if you're skeptical, I have an encouraging word for you. It really can change everything. And not just for the next couple of days, but forever. And the power to believe it is enough to change everything. But here's the harsh reality. That's not always cool with everybody. Not everybody is cool either A, believing that, or even B, tolerating it hitting their ears. There's a time and place for all of us, I hope, to, to be soft and to hear it, but I want you, just, just so you won't be disillusioned, or I, I want to maybe keep you from being disillusioned, verse 11 goes on, it says that, while this man clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded after all, they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our own piety or goodness we have been able to make this man walk? Verse 13, for it is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, who glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now, this, was actually, this is actually in the first sermon as well. It's not the best seeker-friendly sermon. It's not, 
a happy sermon that would draw a crowd. After all, he tells them some things that they don't really want to hear. They say in verse 14, you, but you denied the holy and righteous one, that is Jesus. And then you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And then you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are all witnesses. Just so you know, if you want to make friends, don't go into a crowd of people and accuse them all of being murderers. Right? That's not the best way to win friends and, and influence people. Okay? Don't do that. But these people come with a harsh but real truth that it was in some part their failure. It was them as a group of people and, and their failure that killed what he calls the author of life that is Jesus. You see, the good news of Jesus begins with a harsh truth and a harsh reality. You're not perfect. And you're broken. And even though that's not fun to receive, I would encourage you, even Oprah knows this. Even Oprah knows that something in the world is broken. Something's not right. And the harsher reality is that some of the most evil things and terrible things that have happened to us aren't a result of someone else's decision. Sometimes the worst things that have happened to us are a result of our own. And the scariest truth for me is that there's no one who has betrayed me more than me. There's no one who has made my life more difficult than me. And I'm constantly reminded of that. I, I went into this little boy's bathroom. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to use the facilities here, but th- there's a weird kind of reality. Uh, it throws you back. And I was like, transported back to a bunch of terrible decisions all made. When the supervision ends in the boys' bathroom, whoa, that's when the trouble begins. (laughs) Who broke that? I don't know. Right? I don't know. Maybe that's where, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but that's where my friends went to smoke. Right? And I'm just reminded that, man, the the worst decisions in my own life, I was actually excited to make. It was fun, and we laughed about it. And some of the worst things that have ever happened to me, I did to myself. And no one's hurt the people around me more than me. And there's a harsh reality as we begin to understand that not only is the world broken, but if we look at our own past, man, the mirror screams at me, so are you. But there's good news that doesn't leave us there. And even though Peter began by, Peter and John began by telling them, hey, by the way, you're murderers, he didn't leave them there. And just for some of you, maybe, maybe you're stuck in that guilt stage. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. Maybe, maybe the church for you and for your history has been just like a, a celebration of guilt and shame. Maybe all talking about Jesus has ever done for you is to make you feel terrible and feel guilty. Uh, I encourage you, don't, don't stay there. That, that isn't where we remain even though the good news of jesus points that we failed and that we're not perfect it doesn't leave us there and so maybe if this morning you're kind of stuck there in the shame and guilt and you're bracing even now you're bracing yourself for like oh goodness what is he about to say to make me feel even worse about myself just hold on for a minute if you will just perk your ears up for just a minute there's good news that even though in the presence of all the people we have made a failure of ourselves and possibly like these people we've put jesus where he is and even killed him we find out That in verse 16, in His name, simply by faith in His name, this man has been made strong whom you see and know. 
And the faith that is found through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. I know that the things you did, you didn't do on purpose. I know that the destructive behavior that you and I have done, I know that sometimes we didn't do it on purpose. Sometimes we did. But even though I know you might have killed Jesus in ignorance, as did all of your rulers, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has now fulfilled. So, verse 19 says, Repent, therefore. Turn away, turn back, in order that your sins may be blotted out. Listen to this. If you're stuck in guilt, if you're stuck in shame, I want you to hear this because I think we could all use a little bit of this. Verse 20, it says, Repent, your sins will be blotted out, so that in verse 20, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I, I don't know what kind of week you had, but like, is there any of you that could use some refreshing? Like, I, don't, I don't know what picture you have in your mind when I even say that, what refreshing looks like. I don't know about you, but I, I could use some refreshing. I, I could use refreshment. And it says if you will turn to Jesus, that times of refreshing will come to you. Verse 21, this Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. We're working on some projects in our house, but I would just ask you, could you use some restoration? Are there any things in your life that need to be put back together? I don't know what Thanksgiving looked like with your family. (laughs) But is there any restoration that needs to take place in your life? Because there's good news. If you're stuck in guilt, if you're stuck in shame, there is refreshment and there is restoration. Verse 22, Moses said that the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. I don't know if you know the story about Moses, but Moses who... Many movies have been made about from the Ten Commandments to even the, uh, the, the Prince of Egypt, a, an animated film, tells the story of this man Moses who went to his people who had been in bondage for decades and centuries. They had been in bondage for generations. And this man Moses, God gave the power to set his people free. And Peter and John tell this group of people that there is going to be a prophet. His name is Jesus. And he is going to be like Moses. And the bondage that people have been in, no matter if it was a result of what someone else had done or the result of their own decisions, this Jesus was going to set them free. It said also in verse 3 that it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him, he's referring to the Old Testament now, also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and by the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Did you catch that? This thing that Jesus is going to do is not just going to bless you, but it's going to bless your neighbors. It's going to bless your friends. God is going to bless you in such a way that the wealth that you receive from it will be spread around you. The blessing that God gives you will be like an amazing gift that seems to overflow to the people around you. A wealth of blessing. 
a wealth of comfort, a wealth of restoration. And all the prophets who have spoken, all of them are predicting this moment so that through your families, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, send him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, and they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And what they do? Did they pat them on the back for healing this man? It says in verse 3 of chapter 4, they arrested them. They put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But, even though those people were thrown in prison for preaching the name of Jesus, I want you to hear this amazing conclusion here. It says, but many of those who had heard this word believed it. And the number of the men came, the number of the men that believed it came to about 5,000. I just want to leave you with this thought. This small group of people, much, much smaller than us in here, small group of people, much less than we have even in this room, this small group of people, because of their radical devotion to Jesus Christ, began a movement that changed the world. This small group of people, simply by their radical loyalty to the amazing work of Jesus, began to change the world around them. And So I want to leave you with a challenge to your imagination. Because after all, everywhere we go, there's kind of a challenge to our imagination. Most of them we accept and we enjoy, right? I don't know what's cool right now. We're kind of in a transition. We're like zombies are going out. But there's just been this huge thing about zombies, right? It's like a huge, and and it's funny and entertaining, but let's just be honest, maybe some of you are in this room, like it's been really exciting for some people. Like people have made money. I mean, they're really, no one's ever seen a zombie there's a million shows, movies, and now they're even, I mean, I, 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 don't, I, I hate to admit that I know this, but there's some people on some places in the internet that sell zombie kits, right? Complete with guns and survival. So just in case the zombies come back, and I, I assume these people are making at least a little bit of money. And before that, I don't know if you remember this, but before that it was, it was vampires. No one's ever seen a vampire, but like a lot of people found it very exciting and easy to imagine vampires. Not only imagine vampires, but like there was this really great subculture of people who loved vampires and thought they were handsome and somehow attractive. Right? I'm not lying. I don't know if you missed this over the last decade or so, but there are a group of people, a large group of people that captured this, and it captured, I would say, their imagination to the point that they started writing books about it and they loved it. And before that, some of you are old enough, but Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> I mean, I never thought that was cool, <laughs> you know. Before that, what? Some of you, there, there's one that keeps coming back. Hobbits? Seriously? And there's this huge culture of people. Star Trek? Star Wars? And there's this huge culture of people that, that there's this idea of a new world that's captured their imagination. It's captured their imagination and it's stretched their imagination. 
And so when I ask you to stretch yours, I don't think I'm going too far because I'm not even asking you to dress up to, to a premiere for the new Star Wars that comes out. I'm not even asking you to do that. All I'm asking you to do is imagine for a minute what it looked like when these people, out of radical loyalty to Jesus, began to walk in his footsteps and change the world around them. And now imagine that that group of people was us. Imagine if the world that they changed was that city. I'm excited you're here. I don't think you're here in vain. I think Jesus is here and Jesus can change our lives and heal what's broken. And just the power to believe in his name is the power to have a new life a life that lasts forever. And the power to follow in his footsteps is the power to change the world. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you so much that this is true, uh, that we celebrate today a movement uh, that began so, so, so much, uh, so far ago, uh, so long ago, so much generations before us, so much so that we, we have nothing to do with it. All we're doing is just is being grateful for the gift that's been given to us. God, if there's is any of us in this room, oh man, if, if there's any of us, and, and my, myself is included in this, if we could use restoration, if we could use some remodeling, would you do that in our lives through Jesus? Would we begin to look away from what's broken and look and see the one who has fixed it, that is Jesus. And there's some of us, maybe, man, the idea of refreshment. We're not hot and sweaty, but God, if there's a way that you could just pour a cool glass of water into our lives. We're thirsty for it. I, this world, it seems to suck the life out of our marriages, out of our relationships, out of our friendships. It sucks the joy out of our work. Sometimes it makes it hard to get out of bed in the morning. Would you just pour a cool glass of water over that and give us refreshment in the good news of who Jesus is and the good news that he can make it right? God, I've never seen a, a paralyzed man healed, but I believe and I pray that we would see even greater things because of the power of Jesus. If there's any in this room would, that could use refreshment, that could use restoration, that could use being set free from the things that hold them captive, would you turn their eyes toward Jesus that they would have a new life, they would walk in his footsteps and find the refreshment, the restoration that can only be found when the author of life imparts that gift of life to us. Start a movement, first in our hearts, that would change our lives, but then change our families and then even change the city. We thank you so much for this, and we ask that you would bless this prayer through the power of Jesus, which is our only hope of seeing it become a reality. Amen.